Today we return to the city of Malta to take a trip underneath its tunnels to explore more of the mysteries that lie beneath that city, I think. And then we learn about one of the most disgusting urban legends that I've come across. Does the country of Spain really have a problem with people eating other people's fat? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Yes, I did say eating other people's fat in the intro and doing other stuff with human fat. It's just going to be a fat-tastic episode. It's pretty gross stuff. We're going to be getting to that in a moment, but first off, let us go to Malta. Now, I'm going to put a big asterisk next to this story. Because I'm pretty sure I covered this before. This is one of the perils of doing a daily show. I don't remember. And I've tried all of my tricks to see if I've recorded this episode before. You're like, Jason, what tricks? Just simple memorization? No, generally, if you go to the website, if you go to deadrabbit.com and go to the podcast page, you'll see every episode I've ever recorded you can listen to online. And you can even use the search. This isn't like a built-in pitch. This is what I do. You can use the search tab. And this is why it's so important for me to put show notes. Because I'll type in Malta or I'll type in tunnels or I'll type in Russian or whatever it is. And it'll pull up every episode that those words are in the show notes. So it's a really good resource for me. And you can actually use it too if you're like, what was that episode where he was talking about Larry David? Type in Larry David. It'll pop up in the show notes. So... All of that being said, I'm pretty sure I covered this before, but I think I might have just read about it and never covered it. I don't know. It's totally messing with my head. A conspiracy, maybe? Dun, dun, dun. I should actually get a sound effect. No, I'd re- I like doing the noise instead. Dun, dun, dun. A conspiracy. Let's go ahead and, though, let's hop in the Jason Jalopy. We're driving to Malta. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys, and I don't think this will shock a single one of you. I'm not for sure where Malta is, but, oh, I know it's somewhere, so you have the Middle East, and then you have Europe, and then there's that stuff in the middle, i.e. Italy. Italy is technically part of Europe, but not really. And so you have Italy, and then I think Malta is somewhere around there. I don't think it's in Italy, most likely an island. If the Middle East is the Middle East, and Europe is Europe, what's Greece and Italy? Mediterranean! Oh, there we go, Mediterranean. Let's hop into Jason Jalopy. We're going to the Mediterranean country known as Malta. In Malta, there is a place called the How Salfalini Hypogeum. Hypogeum is a fancy word for tunnel or underground structure. So just call it tunnel. Everyone knows what a tunnel is. Not everyone knows what a hypogeum is. There's three levels of caves underneath the city of Malta. Some people say there's more. Some people say there's a lot more. Some people say that you go through... Some people say that the moon is made of cheese. So some people say it's kind of useless. But anyways, some people say you can go down to the third chamber and then there's this little like walkway that's like super tiny and you crawl through there and it opens to even lower portions of the city. There's this old Freudian thing that people who like to be underground really want to crawl back into their mom's womb. So, like, people who fantasize about building bunkers underground and stuff like that, they really just want to crawl back inside of their mom. 
So I don't know what I personally I don't believe that, but there are psychiatrists who, if you said, "Oh, I'd really want to go to Malta, I really want to walk around underneath the city of Malta for nine months," the psychiatrist is like, "Hmm, tell me more." Apparently, your psychiatrist is Kermit the Frog, the Rainbow Connection. So, anyways. Also, that says people who want to build, like, doomsday bunkers. Does that mean, like, the entire U.S. military living in that mountain where we keep the Stargate, they all want to crawl back into their mommies? I don't know. I think a lot of times psychiatrists just make stuff up and then other psychiatrists go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's also say that ridiculous thing. But anyway, so apparently back in time, everyone wanted to be back inside mom. And they built this giant city underneath Malta. Or it was a survival mechanism because the city kept getting raided or they wanted to move old-timey drugs. I wonder what old, old, I wonder what like Romans did for cocaine. That all, all that stuff from South America. But I don't believe, I don't think that Europe was like totally sober. Like sure, they drink like ale and mead. But you know there was like, what was the old-timey equivalent of meth? Because it, it, listen, this is, hear me out here for a second. You're like, Jason, don't go on these rants. Tell me about the the ghost of Malta. I will in a second. So if humanity never did methamphetamines or cocaine for 10,000 years or 100,000 years, we are cavemen, we are bashing in Neanderthal skulls, we take over the planet, we start building societies, we're drinking a little ale on the side, a little mead, and then all of a sudden, I just answered my own question, but I'm going to go ahead and go on with this narrative. All of a sudden, in the year 1940, 27 people start doing methamphetamines it should completely destroy it could should have completely destroyed people is this new thing it was totally different than what had happened before and i as i was explaining that to to myself as i was thinking out loud i realized that actually did happen i thought about doing an episode on this that's what happened with gin that's what happened with gin you had society drinking alcohol but it was i mean it was strong but it was like cider or ale, or mead, stuff like that. Conan's, like, kicking back casks of it and then going out and just smashing serpent dudes in half. But then when gin, when this super strong, cheap liquor infiltrated Europe, it completely destroyed economies and towns and stuff like that. I I read this big article on gin recently, and I guess this has become a gin episode, but it's just gone off memory. I don't remember what the article was. You basically the gin became such a problem that it was considered like the woman's disease or the 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 drink of wasting mothers because women would get so drunk on gin they would pass out and their babies would roll off their boobs like they're fe- trying to breastfeed their baby and the baby would roll away kids would just be wandering the street the parents were just completely loused the whole time and the government wasn't doing anything about it you had these huge gin companies that weren't letting the government like regulate them and eventually it got to the point where it became so, it reversed, it became so like black market, gin did, that you had to go down a street corner, you had to like go down a dark alley, and there would be a hole in the wall, and you would give someone like a copper coin, or whatever their pence is over there, and then a ladle would come out with gin, and you would put it in a cup, and then walk down the street, because originally it was just something you could go to the bar, and just just drink, and it was super disgusting, I hate gin. But they didn't think it was super disgusting. That was me editorializing. But you could go to the bar, you could drink it. It was called Mother's Ruin. That was the nickname for gin. Completely devastating England society. And then it became this huge thing where you started regulating it and gin producing companies were getting shut down. 
and bars were getting shut down. If they sold gin, you couldn't sell gin anymore, but that's what people were addicted to. So you're having to drink it out of a dirty ladle in a street alley. And now you can go to the, you know, gas station or not gas station. Now you can go to a corner liquor store and get liters of it. And it's disgusting. It's gross. It's made out of juniper berries. But actually that answers the question. If you have a society and then all of a sudden you introduce a new cheap drug and it's not reined in right in the beginning, it will destroy the society. I I don't want to keep going off on rants, but I just saw a documentary about how meth fueled Nazi Germany. There's cross tops were being given out to men and women. Here, take these. It'll keep your pep going. And then Hitler was all junked up all the whole time. Anyways, there's nothing to do with where we're going. But I do wonder if there was an equivalent of old-timey, like, hardcore drugs in Roman era and Greek era that were not just like the oracles were doing it and tripping out and seeing, you know, Leonidas killing a bunch of Persians. Like, something that was more easily accessible for the common person, but it's just lost to history. Nothing to do with what we're talking about. We're in the city of Malta now, okay? And <laughs> I just went on that huge rant as we're walking around a dark cave. So, apparently, in these caves in Malta, I tell you this part of the story after I already tricked you to, to coming down here. I got you drunk on gin. You're like, Ugh. babies are falling off of you. You're like, I didn't even know I was a mother. There's a bunch of babies rolling around in the dirt in front of you. I'm like, pick those babies up. Let's keep going. Apparently, the story is this. Back in 1940, 1940 Malta, there was 30 kids and their teachers. They went on a field trip. Now, they weren't from Iowa. They're like, okay, kids, field trip. We're going to Malta. They were already in Malta. And the field trip was to go into the tunnels underneath the city. Tell me this doesn't sound like an urban legend. 30 kids and their teachers go under a city. Or set up for a joke. 30 kids and their teachers go into underground vault in Malta. And they're never found. They go missing like a couple hours later when they're supposed to come back. No one could find them. They start sending search parties for them. Can't find them. And for days afterwards, mothers throughout the city could hear their kids crying. Mommy, help me. Help me. Apparently, they're falling down. They're falling down huge gaps. Ah! But mothers were saying, I can hear Bobby. I can hear Bobby in this tunnel down here. And the cops are like, we're looking for him, ma'am. We're looking for him. But there's no Bobby. There's no 29 other kids in there either. And he's falling down a cliff apparently as well either. So the idea is that this happened. Now, obviously, that sounds incredibly stupid. And that's why I kept making jokes about kids falling down cliffs. Because... The idea of 30 kids and two teachers going... It's not like they were in the tunnels in... What was that dude like in the Philippines? Remember recently those kids got trapped in that tunnel as though they were filling up with water? We found them. And they were... We didn't have any idea where these guys were. They didn't even... They had an idea that they entered into a cave, but even that was kind of spotty. I guess they knew that. Otherwise, they wouldn't have checked caves. They weren't looking up trees the whole time. But this place wasn't filling full of water. It was just a... Not super well-explored thing, but the idea of 30 kids and their teachers just wandering into the tunnels and getting lost, and then not being found. No bones, nothing, yet you could hear the kids crying late at night. I mean, you would just go, hey, stay there, and I'm going to dig down. Problem solved. So it sounds ridiculous. However, this story was supposedly published in the 1940 issue, in a 1940 issue, of National Geographic magazine. And what's weird is that the people who dispute this story, who goes, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing spooky about the tunnels of Malta, 
don't dispute the fact that it was published in National Geographic. They say, yes, the story was published there. What they dispute is the fact that it's true. They go, yes, National Geographic did publish this article. However, we believe they published it as a cautionary tale to make it so kids don't get lost in these tunnels. Since when is National Geographic posted fake news? They've never run a story, watch out kids, Boogeyman on the loose, and the cover is this holographic Boogeyman coming at you. Boogeyman spotted in your hometown. Ask your parents for more details. Come home before the streetlights come on, kids. Boogeyman. You know, like, they don't do that. They don't post fake stuff to scare kids. So they don't dispute that the article's real. They just think that it can't be real, just like how I assumed it can't be real. So if the National Geographic published it, then there must have been another reason. But here's the thing. As much as I was joking about kids falling off cliffs and poking holes in the story, the fact that National Geographic did cover it makes it sound more legit. It doesn't make sense as logically as a story, but a major magazine that's been around for over 100 years that focuses on stuff around the world published a story about it. So that's all in the show notes. You can see the article yourself. There's another component of the story before the kids went missing. Apparently there were... Now this one is far more... The lineage of this story is far more ridiculous. There's a woman, a journalist named Lori Jessup, supposedly. I mean, I don't know if this is a legit person or a pseudonym or whatever. But anyways, so we have the first story was told by National Geographic magazine. This one is told by Riley Crabs, <laughs> Riley Crabs Borderland Science magazine. So, pff, I mean, like that is not a legitimate magazine by any measure, right? I'm sure it's a lovely magazine. I'm sure it has a lot of great articles in it, but it is not where I'm going to get my historical information. Lori Jessup apparently writes for Riley Crabs Borderland Science magazine. She goes underground. She This story is absolutely ridiculous. She goes underground. She's pestering a tour guide. She has like her little press cap on. She's like, come on, guide. Why don't you give me one of your private tours? Wink, wink. And he thinks she's coming on to him. She's like, no, nah, I'm not that kind of broad. I'm not that kind of broad. I want to know the real scoop. I want to know the straight dope. I want to know what's really in these tunnels. And he's like, dude, please. You're the most irritating journalist stereotype ever. And she's like, what do you say? What do you say? So he finally says, yes, please go away. I will allow you to go through this passage that I don't normally let people go through. So she goes through this passage, and apparently a couple other people come with her. Now, this is 1940, so they don't have flashlights. This is like old-timey stuff. Apparently, she's carrying a candle. I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. I've never seen a human carry a candle. You know why? Because you get hot wax over you, and you're like, Jason, now you're just splitting hairs. Maybe she had some sort of candle holder. Fine. She's walking with now. She all of a sudden has a candelabra underground. She's walking through, fan of the opera style. She goes into the secret passage, which people aren't supposed to be in. And she comes to the edge of a cliff. <gasps> the cliff supposedly is bottomless. That's detail number two. That's utterly ridiculous. But it could just be 10 feet deep and it's super dark. The candelabra doesn't reach down there. She stands up and she sees this huge gap. And on the other side of the gap is this doorway. And then these giant white-haired creatures walk out of the darkness. But they're on the other side of the doorway. (gasps) And just then, her candle goes out. She's in pitch darkness and she feels something wet walk by her. (laughs) Just imagine getting covered in slime and gack. 
just slide by you. And that panics her, obviously. And she runs, and she goes to run back into her tour group. And at that point, other people are trying to follow out. She's like, get out of the way, losers, get out of the way. White-haired monster's right behind me. And she gets back there. And she goes, <sighs> she gets with the tour group, and everyone else comes back. She doesn't warn them there's a bottomless cliff there, but none of them fall off. And she's catching her breath, and the tour guide apparently looks at her, and in her words, gives her a knowing look. Like, I told you so, you stupid idiot. But, you are annoying me, so I let you go. All those words were conveyed with just a simple nod. And then, eventually, she leaves the tunnels. And then, she said, she wanted to go back again next week. She was scared the first time, but she wanted to know more about the bottomless pit. She wanted to know more about the white-haired creatures, the wet monster that slid past her, and the mysterious force known as wind that blew her candle out. She needed to know all of these things. She goes back into the tunnel. The door she went through is blocked up now. And when she started asking other tour guides, hey, where's so-and-so? He was working here last week, and we were doing on this tour, and everyone goes, why, that tour guide has never worked here before. Ever. (laughs) Now, people believe that story, by the way. That story is completely stupid. But I think it's funny, because here we have two contrasting stories. One story is reported in National Geographic. It's very, very, it's maybe two paragraphs long. Basic information. Kids go missing. No one can find them. Parents hear the kids crying at night. It's spooky. It may be true, but it just seems very unlikely. You think if it was true, there'd be more news sources covering it, unless it was something the city was trying to cover up. This Now you can no longer walk freely. We know that as a fact. Used to be you could kind of walk freely under the city of Malta. You can't do that anymore. And I think that changed around the late 1940s. So that is not, you can't go down there and walk around. So something probably did happen, but it could just been a 30 kids sprained their ankle one day or over the course of 30 days, who knows. But anyways, so you have that incident happen. And then you have this story that involves Yeti, underground societies, bottomless pits, wet slime monsters, a tour guide who never existed, all this ridiculous details. And both, every time you look at the story of the Malta tunnels, both of these stories are connected. Well, you know, like you'll read the first one and you'll be like, oh, that is kind of interesting. Why would National Geographic report that? And then they go, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If you think that one was good, look at this one. It stars the story of Lori Jessup. It's Lori Jessup's great-granddaughter literally nudging you with her press cap on. Read all about it. Read all about my great-grandma's story. Like, knock it off, dude. So one is super, like, is totally dialed into what people, all the conspiracy paranormal dudes believe in with the hidden societies and, and magic controlling the wind and all sorts of Pocahontas nonsense. And then you have a story that's actually realistic, but there's so few details on it. Who knows? It could be true. It could be not true. It's the Battle of National Geographic versus Riley Crabb's Borderland Science magazine. And in true conspiracy theory, paranormal fashion, Riley Crabb, the Riley Crabb crowd usually wins out. The story of a ghost, like last episode, I'll talk about this. Last episode was about Haditha Dam. The story about ghosts, a ghost in Haditha Dam, That's fine. That's a scary ghost story that U.S. soldiers tell each other so they can, you know, poop their pants. But then someone added in the four horsemen of the apocalypse are trapped underneath it. And it's this huge demonic conspiracy monster man stuff going on underneath this dam. One is at least a slightly realistic ghost in a dam. And then the other one is just fantasy nonsense. I mean, whether or not the four horsemen exist 
I don't know, but I don't think that they're trapped underneath a hydroelectric dam in Iraq. If they do exist, which I'm sure they exist in some form, but again, I'm not going to get into all that. So, well, I guess I could because it is a paranormal podcast, but really I want to talk about fat extractors. And I'm running out of time. So, guys, suck your tummies in, but it won't help. It won't help. You'll still look nice and juicy to those fat extractors. So when I use the term fat extractor, that's a term. Those are two English words that are put together. Fat extractor. It's not its own thing, right? If I said, oh, I'm a fat seller. I sell human fat. You'd be disgusted. And you would make sure you weren't eating Twinkies around me. But you'd go, oh. Now, if I'm saying those words in other languages, if I said candle maker in French, it would be like candle maker, right? It would be another word for candle maker. You could travel around the world. I've learned this this week. And you could travel around the world and you'll find all sorts of combinations for words. You can go to other countries and English, the word automobile may take two or three words to say in another language. Spain has such a problem with people sucking the fat out of other people. They have their own terminology for it. They're called Sacama. It's close enough to my own old hometown, which is kind of creepy. Sac... Sacamentecas, which means fat extractor, or mantequero, which is a fat seller, because you have to distinguish those two. Some people just love to pull the greasy fat out of you. Other people are capitalists about it. They want to take that fat and turn it into stuff. You can actually get jars, like apocryphary apocryphary jars. Now, you can get apocryphary jars here. You can get them with, say, mints on them or or homeopathic nonsense or stuff that doesn't work and just put it on your put it on your mantle with along with all of your homeopathic garbage these ones say oxungia honinis which means human fat so you could go to an apocryphary in Spain in the 1700s and you'd be like I need some mint and I need some uh uh, that that Jason can't think of a word for. And then it's, it's a jar that says Jason can't think of a word for. And then I'll take two scoops of human fat. Spain has such a problem with human fat that there are multiple stories regarding people killing people just to take the fat out. So many stories. We're going to have to cover them over three episodes. This is the first collection. This is going to whet your appetite for some sweet, sweet human fat. It's the late 1800s. We're falling back. We're falling back through a time portal. Luckily, we're going to Spain. So half the landscape is human fat. We hit the ground. Fighting our way out of the fat. The gooey, human, greasy, yellow fat. Sorry if you happen to be eating chicken during this segment. Eating it. You just got your rotisserie chicken. You're all taking a huge bite. I knew a guy. So I used to work at Best Buy in Sacramento. And right across the way, there was a Burger King restaurant. And I've always loved working at... I love working retail, but I've always specifically loved working retail where there was restaurants nearby. Because then you never really had to leave anywhere for eight hours. Walk to restaurants. So I was like, oh, sweet, Burger King. I'm going to walk from Best Buy to go Burger King. And I remember when I started there, because I was one of the first to play. The store had just opened up like a month before I got started. At the time, too, I was actually the fastest promoted member, like fastest promoted employee in Best Buy history. I went from cashier to manager like in a month or maybe like a month and a half. I remember they're like, no one's ever been promoted this quickly. But anyways, there's nothing new to the story. I should be bra- bragging about working at Best Buy. I ended up 
I go to Burger King all the time. And I remember asking my boss, I go, hey, do you ever go to Burger King? And he goes, never again. Never again. I'm like, what? Why? And he goes, he went this very first day working at that Best Buy. He walked over to the Burger King. And he got a grilled chicken sandwich. <laughs> he got a grilled chicken sandwich. And he takes a bite out of it. And he goes, Arr. And his teeth bite. You know how human mouths work. His teeth bite into the sandwich. And then what you normally do is you move the sandwich away from your mouth and go, and you eat it. You bring it to your mouth, take a bite, and then you pull the sandwich away from your mouth, and then you chew the peas. It's a weird human thing. You don't keep the the burger right next to your mouth and go, you take a bite, and then you drop your hands. He said, I take a bite of the sandwich. And then he goes, as I pulled the sandwich away from my mouth, there was a (laughs) there was a vein coming from his mouth from the bite he had taken and the vein was this gooey stretchy thing and he as he moved the sandwich away the vein kept stretching longer and longer and he's just looking at this thick red vein coming from his mouth disappearing into the meat of the chicken of the sandwich and he he said he would never he threw it away and he said he would never eat a burger king ever again i thought that was a funny story but anyways so this dude, we're, we're, we're in Fatland, a.k.a. Spain. There's this guy named Juan Diaz de Guerrero. He was killing prostitutes. He's actually considered one of Spain's earliest serial killers, if not their first. One of the first recorded serial killers in, in Spain. Now, he started off, he would walk down the street and he would see like an old woman. Not an old woman, sorry. He would see a poor woman. Difference. You can be poor and young or poor and old, but you can't be old and young. He'd see a young woman who was poor and being like, Hey, you want to make some money? And she'd be like, yes, I would. So they would go down an alley and they would bang. And then he would go, here's three reals, which is their currency over there. And she goes, that's not enough. And he'd go, fine. And he goes, here's four. And she goes, that's not enough. And then he would choke her to death. He'd kill her. And then that went on for a couple of years. He kept finding these young women and he would go, hey, you, you look kind of down in your luck. She's like, yeah, it's been a real kind of crappy Crappy year. Luckily, I still have all this sweet, sweet human fat in my body. And he's like, that's an odd comment to make. She's like, it is. He goes, hey, you want to have some sex for money? And she goes, yeah, sure. And then he would offer her three bucks or three reals, and she would say no. Then he'd offer her four, and she'd say no, and then he'd strangle her. It was this weird thing that he did. And he, he, he was fairly successful at this for a long time. People kept finding these bodies around town, and they weren't cluing on. They weren't, like, figuring out who this dude was. Then he just started attacking random people. This young girl walks by and he's like, hey, knock, knocks her on the head. No lead up, no sex for money, nothing. Drowns, he's drowning women, he's choking them out. I thought one of the saddest ones was, and this was actually one of his last ones. He was out in the middle of the country because people were starting to get suspicious. He's out in the middle of the country sleeping under a bridge. This young woman's coming back from like a fair and he's like, oh, where you been? He's like, she's like, oh, I was just from the town fair. And look at, I bought this bread and this wine. And yeah, you know, just kind of having fun. And he's like, oh, that's cool. And then he uh, beat, beat the crap out of her and ripped her intestines out. And then sat and drank her wine and ate her bread. I've always thought, you know, and I've covered that type of thing before. Not the girl getting her intestines ripped out, but that normalcy thing where... There was the, one of the Zodiac Killers victims was some guy coming home. He worked at a Coca-Cola factory for like 30 years. His favorite thing was he every day he got like a bottle of Coke. And his favorite thing was grabbing his, you know, hey, bye, Harold. I don't remember his name, but 
yeah, see you guys later. He'd grab his bottle of Coke and he'd walk home and he'd sit and he'd watch TV and drink his Coke. Like, that was his thing. And Zodiac Killer blew his brains out. And that's such a normal thing. It's the same thing with her. You have this woman who goes out. She's looking the whole week to go to this fair. She goes to the fair. She buys her bread and she her wine. And she's so happy. She's coming back through the countryside. It's a beautiful Spanish day. And some dude rips her intestines out and then eats her food. Like, that is such a bizarre... It's the normalcy of it is what is striking to me. Th- those stories are always more chilling. Yes, obviously, killing prostitutes is just as wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying this woman may have been a prostitute. I don't know. I'm not saying, but I'm saying like the idea of there's there's just routine things we do that you go to the store, you get, you're like, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait to go to the store, get my chili beans and rice. I'm going to come home. I'm going to watch a new episode of The Mandalorian and I'm going to go to bed or maybe I'll stay up late and play video games. And while you're thinking about that, some dude comes out of the darkness and puts a box cutter through your neck. That to me is, is terrifying. That the normalcy being interrupted by violence is terrifying. Now, this guy had been... And to get back to the actual narrative of the story, and not try to ruin your day and to scare you. The, the reason why his modus operandi changed now, he'd been drowning women. He, he killed dozens of women. And he was... They don't really even know the full amount of women he killed. But... At first, he was just drowning them and choking them because that was his most effective. His first murder was drowning this woman. He took her to the river to have sex with her and then drowned her. The reason why he ripped this woman's guts out, because at this point, when the police police are starting to figure out there's a serial killer in the area, people are super panicked at this point because there's been tons of bodies found. Nobody seems to know who this person is. People believed he was a Sacramenteca. He was a fat extractor. This was a boogeyman that existed. In Spain, the story of somebody that, a monster really, who preys on the populace to eat their fat, or to turn their fat into medicine, or to turn their fat into soap. But Spain had a weird fascination with human fat, to the, to the point that they had a boogeyman that specifically worked on Eating, consuming, murdering just for fat. So the rumor was that whoever is killing these women is a Sacramenteca. Even though that this serial killer had not been taking their fat out, people were people did not know why someone would be murdering so many women. So Juan had not disemboweled anybody, but this time he did. He ripped her guts out specifically to make the people think that there was a mythical creature on the loose. Now, while these crimes were going on, these murders lasted, I think it was about two or three years, other people began, because this guy wasn't getting caught, you had three other people begin murdering women in the same area. Because if this guy's not getting caught, I'm going to do it too. They all got caught. Juan eventually got caught as well, and he got sentenced to death, and he was executed. But you had three other people inspired by these crimes who, who killed like one person and got caught. And one of those guys ripped a woman's guts out as well. So you, the society was in a panic. Now, again, if you had a town where people, if in Detroit, you had four people murdered and they were disemboweled, people in Detroit aren't going to be like, they're eating their fat. Don't use soap because the soap might be human fat. But Spain has such a weird issue with human fat extractors and drinking human fat and turning it into medicine. They have crime after crime after crime where this is a thing. And that's going to be a teaser. For our next two episodes. Because I could not. There's so much fat for this story. I couldn't fit it all in one episode. 
Tomorrow's episode, we are going to tell the story of a man who was also considered a Sacramenteca and a werewolf. And then the episode after that, for our three-part Fat Eater episode, we are going to explain how the idea of fat extractors left Spain and moved to the New World. To the point that even today, people in South America believe that the Spaniards continue to kill the indigenous people simply to eat their fat. What is Spain's bizarre connection with human fat? We will explore those issues and more greasy goodness on the next episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Bye.